so. Yeah. Oh, I don't need two mics. You're right. <laughs> Is Jamil here? Hey, Jamil, come on up here and share that testimony that you shared. So let's give it up for Jamil. Helps lead our ministry teams. He's one of our healing terrorists here in the city. In a good way, good way. Yeah, we terrified Te- the devil. Terrorizing the devil, yes. Amen, amen. Well, yesterday morning, I happened to uh, talk to a woman. She was about in her 40s, and we got to talk about food. And what she said was, though, she goes, well, I don't eat a lot. I said, you don't eat a lot? I said, well, why is that? She says, well, she says, I mostly eat soup and grilled cheese. I said, really? She said, yes, about a little over a year ago, she had a ruptured esophagus. And as a result of a ruptured esophagus, she had this leakage in her body. And she said she had surgery and she was hospitalized for six weeks. And she says she has a severe acid reflux. She says, as a result of all of that, she says, I'm afraid to eat anything else. And I said, well, you know, uh, I'm involved in the ministry. If you're interested, I'd be blessed to pray for you. How many of you guys know you're all involved in the ministry? Come on. Amen. So I, she, I won't say sheepishly. She gave, barely gave me her hand to hold. Right. I'm a stranger, <laughs> which I understood. But I prayed for her and, you know, commanded her to be well. And her esophagus was uh, constricted because of the surgery and the scarring. So she couldn't eat a lot of food like that. So, again, grilled cheese and soup. And so I prayed for her. So yesterday afternoon at 2.25, I went back and checked on her. Because she said this after I prayed for her. She turned around and she goes, I'm going to go out and get me something to eat today. I said, that's faith in action. That's right. So at 2.25, I went and checked on her. I said, excuse me. I said, did you um, go out and get anything to eat? She goes, I did. She said, I went and got chicken and a bagel. Come on. And she said, and I kept it down. Wow, so good. I said, so thank Jesus. She goes, thank you and Jesus. That's but thank right. You. Thank you, Jesus. So good. So good. Way to step out. I love that. One other quick announcement, uh, September 3rd on Saturday, we're going to be having something called Bullets and Barbecue. No, bullets and Brisket. Bullets and Brisket up in Hocking Hills. And uh, so um, this isn't just for guys, but I imagine I got a lot of guys will show up. My wife is threatening to do a female counterpart, pistols and pedicures. So um, seriously, she is. She's threatening this. And so um, anyway, it'll be a good time to shoot guns. If you're not familiar with them, we'll be on a range, safety instructors, all that good stuff. And so it'll be good. All right, you guys ready? Now, I don't know about how, you, uh, how it was for you growing up around communion time, but around uh, the way I grew up, commun- the thing that sticks out to me was the fear of God's judgment. I don't know if you guys, it's like communion time became this time where it's like, listen, if you eat or drink in an unworthy manner, God's judgment is going to come upon you and you're going to get sick and die. Does anyone else have memories of this growing up? Okay. About, about half of you, I guess the last of you went to good churches. <clears throat> and so... Um, I believe that if I didn't confess all my sins before, like, the bread of the cup touched my lips, then all of a sudden something horrible was going to come upon me. And so it became a, uh, a time of great introspection. You guys remember this? Let's give everyone a time to search their hearts, to see if there's anything. And it's like, I always found something there. I'm like, oh, no. 
<laughs> you know, there's always a bad attitude. I don't bother, you know, but the Bible says you know, he, who does, he who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, that's sin to him. I'm like, oh my goodness, there's probably a whole bunch of good things. So I'm just, it was this time of, I don't know about you, has anyone ever looked inside and like gone into introspection and came out encouraged? No. You're never like, this is amazing how awesome I, no, no, you always find something there. And so, um, and so communion became this time about searching my hearts, looking for any sins that I may have committed, and believing that, listen, if I, I'm, I'm risking my life by taking this wafer. It was like this time of fear and uh, trembling. And uh, when Jesus gave us the Lord's Supper, I want you to say, he said, do this in remembrance of me. He did not say, do this in remembrance of your sin. So what if communion is supposed to be about how good God is and not how bad you are? All right, and so we're going to see communion. I believe it's actually one of the provisions that God has given us to walk in divine health. And when we don't recognize that, we don't reap the benefits from it. So it's interesting. This is the only place in Scripture we're about to look at where Jesus said, here's some reasons why Christians are sick and some are dying. He said, so he's about to give us this. And so we're in a series called Healing is God's Idea. And today we're going to talk about the meal that heals. Does that sound good? All right, so start with this confession. Healing is not my idea. Healing is God's idea. I'm not trying to convince him. He's trying to convince me. And so my prayer this morning is that every time you take the Lord's Supper, all those fears are removed and that your faith is stirred up to be able to receive the blessings of wholeness and healing that are found in the blood and the bread of Jesus. And so maybe you use a different name for it. Maybe you call it the Lord's Supper or Holy Communion or Eucharist, which is actually just a New Testament word for Thanksgiving. And so I'm not trying to teach a whole thing on communion. I just want to zero in on this one aspect of, uh, of the meal that heals. So I remember my wife and I went to this wedding one time, and we were towards the end, maybe like the last people in the food line. You know, sometimes they got food, you go and get the food. So we're last in the food line, and people are absolutely pigging out. It was embarrassing. They are taking, it was like they were having a contest. I'm not kidding. Like having a contest, how much food they can fit on their plates. By the time Mary and I got there, all that was left, I had two carrots and a cracker on my plate. Literally. So I go in, and we sit down, and people are like, we're just watching them just eating like pigs. And I'm like, you know, I'm trying like, to make the most of the carrot, you know, like, like chew it like 10 times, you know. And I'm, like, people are like, I don't even know why I took so much food. I'm so full. I'm like, oh, really, you know. And so the one girl, she had so many, um, like, egg rolls. It was like, more like Chinese food. They had so many egg rolls. It was like, like a game of Chenga, where you see like, how many you could stack up. She's literally like, sitting in front of me, and she's like, I can't possibly eat all this. And so I'm literally, like, licking the crumbs from the cracker, like, trying to shame her a little bit, you know. And so Mary's like, stop making comments, you know. And so... I guess sometimes I make sarcastic comments to Mary, and they're louder than I think they are. She's like, they can hear you. I'm like, Ooh, you know. And so I'm making comments, like, you know. And so um, this lady's like, well, would you like one of my egg rolls? I'm like, yes, Miss Piggy, I would. Like, are you, I, didn't, I didn't say that, but I'm thinking, like, are you kidding me? She had, like, literally like six extra egg rolls on this thing. So people are, like, pigging out. I'm totally starving. I'm getting crabby. You know, I needed some food. We had to stop on the way home and all this stuff. And so um, has anyone ever been to something like that where everyone's like pigging out and there's hardly anything left over? That's what's happening in the Corinthian church. As we get there, Paul, uh, we're going to get to the, uh, the context in 1 Corinthians 11. But Paul says, basically, he's like, I don't know what you guys are doing when you come together for communion, but it isn't the Lord's Supper. It's not the Lord's body that you're recognizing when you're doing this. And so here, here we get the situation. So they had something called a love feast. We see it in the book of Jude where they would basically have a meal celebrating God's goodness and they would end it with communion. So here in the Corinthian church, they're having a love feast, except all the rich people are coming in and bringing food, and all the rich people are eating their own food, but all the poor people are left out with a cracker and two carrots, basically, as they're doing this, watching the outside, okay? 
And so they were actually partying so much they were getting drunk. So think about this here. They're, they're picking out. They're getting drunk while poor people have nothing to eat and they're left to fill out. And Paul's like, this is what's happening. He's like, he's like, I got nothing good to say about what's happening here. He's like, this is not the Lord's body that you're recognizing when you come together. And so, um, so they're having this feast and this celebration, but they were forgetting about the whole meaning of the bread and the cup. They, were in the, and they had consequences on their health. We're about to see that. So that's what's coming together. There's this hot mess coming in. So those are the verses before this. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, Paul says this. For, right, he's going to kind of straighten them out on communion now. He just kind of was like, you guys have this hot mess going on. Verse 23, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And we had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Verse 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. Let's look at verse 27 again. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. Notice, uh, oh, we'll get this in a second. Uh, drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. So I grew up thinking that if I was unworthy, I should not take communion. Otherwise, I'd be eating and drinking judgment on myself, maybe even die. So here's something that's supposed to be a blessing uh, you know, to, to Christians. Uh, um, and I'll be turned into a curse, and now I'm missing the benefits of what I'm supposed to be getting out of this thing. Notice, guys, Paul did not say we should not partake if we are unworthy. He's saying that we should not partake in an unworthy manner. Big difference. Silence goes through the church. Unworthy is not describing the person who's getting ready to eat the bread and drink the cup. Unworthy describes the way in which you're about to eat the bread and drink the cup. Okay? Like I said, the Bible says, he who knows the good he ought to do and does not do it, um, that is sin to him. Guess what? None of y'all are worthy. None of us are worthy, and Christianity has never been about us being worthy, all right? You're going to drive yourself crazy on that hamster wheel of condemnation, trying to be good enough, trying to be hungry enough. How, much, how many scriptures are enough to read? How many sins are enough to get rid of? How many, you know, it's, it's never going to be good enough. I've got some good news for you. This passage is not talking about you trying to find out everything that's wrong with you and making it right so that you'll be worthy to take communion. None of Christianity has anything to do with you being good enough, right? It's always been about Jesus being good enough. Jesus did all the heavy lifting. Communion is actually such a beautiful picture of the Christian life. Jesus provided the bread and the, and the blood. He provided everything. Our job is just to eat and drink freely. He provides everything. Our job is to eat, to feast on him, to revel in the goodness of the cross, to keep partaking in that. I love Psalm 23, 4. It says, Jesus is my delicious feast. That's pretty much the Christian life. Well, Jim, aren't we supposed to do a whole bunch of stuff? Well, listen, you will do more stuff out of faith and love than you will trying to get, do effort by pleasing Jesus. People in love, listen, imagine the story of a woman. This is actually Romans chapter 7. A woman who is married to a horrible husband. And this, in Romans 7, it was the law. And the law was demanding perfection. And she would make his meal. And if one little part was wrong, the whole thing was wrong. Throw it on the ground. Yell at her. You're wrong. Condemning her. That's the law. It's basically telling you you're not good enough. 
You, oh, you think you're good enough? No. You miss, just missed this one part. The whole thing's wrong. You're guilty of everything. That's, that's the law. And so there's this woman. She's trying to please her husband, but it just isn't working, right? That's life under the law. And it says that um, that husband died, the law. You died to the law. And now she's married to the new husband, Jesus. And guys, you will, she will serve that husband more out of love than she ever did out of fear. That's the Christian life. It's not about trying to please God. But listen, once we realize that we are pleased, that God is already pleased with us because of his son, I guarantee you'll do more work, but it'll come from a different spot. It'll come from a motivation of love. So I'm not talking about just sitting on the couch for the Christian life and just waiting for heaven until we die. Listen, there, there's good works prepared in advance for you to do, but they come from a different place. Are we good? So what does it mean to eat and drink in an unworthy manner? Well, let's look at the next verses, verse 27, 1 Corinthians 11, 27. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Now, verse 29, he's going to explain what unworthy manner is. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. So verse 29 tells us what it means to partake of communion in an unworthy manner. When you fail to discern or understand the significance of the Lord's body, you're eating and drinking in an unworthy manner. If you don't understand the power of what you're taking, if it just becomes this ritual, it just becomes a nasty styrofoam cracker and some off-tasting grape juice, right? It's not going to do you any good because you're just doing it in an unworthy manner. So here's the Corinthians. They're partaking in an unworthy manner because they just turned it into a big party rather than recognizing that this, it's, it, we're doing something in remembrance of Jesus. We're participating in his death and resurrection all over again and partaking of the benefits. And so because they did not recognize the benefits, they did not properly discern what was going on in the body of Christ, what, what it represented, they did not partake of the benefits. And because they did not partake of the benefits, some of the people were getting sick and dying. Are we okay here? So they just turned it into a party, and so they missed what the meaning of the, of, the, of the elements were. Today, we don't discern the body properly by just making it a ritual. I haven't been to any churches where they're like, people are being carried out drunk because they're partying so much and, the, uh, you know, and that they missed communion. But today, we do it out of ritual, right? It's like, okay, it's communion time. It's once a month. You know, sometimes we do it between worship and preaching, and it can turn into this ritual, and um, it loses its power. And again, it can just be like tasting that bad tasting wafer. I've often said this. If there was a nuclear blast, the two things that would survive would be the cockroaches and those communion wafers. Because they, they're like, I don't, they will just stay forever. Let's look at the result of taking communion in an unworthy manner. So remember, taking, partaking of communion in an unworthy manner is not properly discerning the body. Not recognizing the benefits of the cross that are available to us. Okay. So here's the results, uh, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty nine, For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. So the result is they, when you don't properly discern it, you do not receive the benefits of what Jesus paid for, which is healing and wholeness. And what's the result? It says many were weak and ill, and some have prematurely died. Like I said, I don't know of any other verse in the Bible that says, here's the reasons why some Christians are weak and sick and prematurely die. It's because they aren't properly discerning the body of Christ. They aren't recognizing what Jesus paid for on the cross that is now available to them and partaking of those benefits. We understand what will happen to us. Uh, when we understand what's going to happen to us on the cross because of Jesus, that is properly discerning the body. Okay? 
but when we don't recognize that healing belongs to us because of what Jesus has done, and we're partaking of, it, of his body, which represents healing, we're going to see that in just a second, that is partaking in an unworthy manner. And when we fail to do this, what does it do? It makes the power of the cross meaningless to us. Here's the power of the cross. It's right there in the body. And when we don't, we don't partake of it, it's as if that all the judgment that came on the world because of sin is still available to us because we are not partaking of the body. Are we good? So what happens if we properly discern the body? What happens if we examine ourselves and properly discern the body? Well, what if we recognize what the bread represents? What if we properly discern the body? Well, if, we, um, if not discerning it, it means you're going to be weak, ill, and die prematurely. Properly discerning it means you're going to walk in strength, health, and wholeness. This is good news. All right, so Jim, how do we discern the body properly? Okay, so the manner in which we take the meal and the manner in which we take the bread and the wine is going to determine whether or not we experience the benefits of the Lord's body. So if our attitude is, it's just a piece of bread, you know, it's just some ritual, um, then that's all it's going to be. So let's get this. The blood is for the forgiveness of our sins. The body was for our healing and wholeness. I'm going to go through that here in just a second. So most of us today, we have no problem properly discerning the blood. Okay, so Colossians 1.14, for in the Son, all of our sins are canceled, and we have the release of redemption through his very blood. That is properly discerning the blood. It's for the forgiveness of our sins. Here's another verse, Ephesians 1.7. Since we are now joined to Christ, we have been given the treasures of redemption by his blood, the total cancellation of our sins, all because of the cascading riches of his grace. So when we take the cup, we know that we're forgiven. Okay, here's some, I'm just going to read you some verses. We know that we will never experience the wrath of God. That's right out of Romans 5. Some of you might need to change your theology based on that one. We will never experience the wrath of God. We have been made completely right with God. We can boldly come into his presence. We can pray and know that he always hears us. Okay, that's properly recognizing the blood. That's how you discern the blood. But to discern the body, you have to know what it represents, okay? The bread, which was Jesus' body, is for our healing, okay? So there's a story in the uh, New Testament about a Syrophoenician woman, and uh, she needed her child healed. And uh, so because she was Syrophoenician, she wasn't a Jew, she's outside the covenant. So the promises were not for her. They were for people inside the covenant. <clears throat> and so she comes and asks Jesus, hey, even though I'm not a Jew, can I still get healing? So let's look at the story here. And I want you to notice what Jesus is calling the children's bread here. Are you ready for this? Mark chapter 7, verse 26. She was not Jewish, but a foreigner, born in the part of Syria known as Phoenicia. She begged him repeatedly to cast the demon out of her daughter. Finally, he said to her, First, let my children be fed and satisfied, for it isn't fair to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. What did he call the children's bread? Healing. Okay? Verse 28, she answered, How true that is, Lord. But even puppies under the family table are allowed to eat little children's crumbs. Jesus is saying that healing is part of the covenant. Uh, the covenant is like a loaf of bread for each family, and a piece of that loaf is healing. For every single person, that's part of what you get. And she responds to Jesus, I recognize I'm not part of the covenant, but even one crumb from that covenant will heal me. What was Jesus doing? He's drawing faith out of her. And when she got to that point of faith, he, he kind of offends her. He knew that if she could get past the defense, she would get to that, that faith that she needed, and Jesus completely heals her. She recognized the covenant and was healed. What did she do? She properly recognized the bread. When Jesus was observing his last meal with the disciples, he said this in Matthew 26, 26. As they ate, 
Jesus took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to his disciples. And what did he say? He said to them, this is my body. The bread represents his body. The bread represents healing. Okay? I want you to think about Jesus' body on earth. His body was so filled with healing that it soaked his clothes with healing. And when people just touched his clothes, they got healed. There's several instances in the Bible where like, people touch Jesus' clothes and they're healed. I want you to ask you this. If Jesus' clothes released healing, how much more his body? We, I'll take that. It started off as a golf clap, but it picked up a little momentum there. Yeah. See, the problem with being the lone clapper, it almost sounds like the sarcastic clap if no one else joins in. So, like, like help a brother out when he's trying to, yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's the problem of being in a golf community, I guess, here. Maybe just, like, pick up the pace a little bit on the sarcastic clap or something. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yep. This may be the only church in America getting clapping lessons here, so. <laughs> Jesus, help us. Let us properly discern the clap, Father. Yes, yes, yes. All right. So if his clothes release healing, how much more his body? And here's what Jesus said about communion. This is my body. Have you ever seen a uh, matzah bread that's eaten during Passover? Have you guys ever seen that? So it's interesting. So there was, some, uh, there was a tradition that got passed down orally in, among the Jews, and it got put together in a book called the Mishnah. And so they had a recipe for making the matzah bread for, for, the, uh, for the Passover celebration. And according to these laws, the bread had to be unleavened, baked, pierced with holes, and striped. The rabbis, they had no idea that they were literally making a recipe that would represent the Messiah's body. Unleavened, what does that mean? Leaven in the Bible represents sin, and Jesus was sinless. His body was burnt, representing the wrath of God that was poured out upon sin. Remember, all the offerings, they had to be consumed with fire. Jesus became that offering for us. His hands and his feet were pierced, and his back was striped. Okay? Can we pull up that picture? I think we got a picture of the matzah bread. There it is right there. I want you to notice, there it is. It's unleavened, it's pierced, it's striped, and it's burnt. Every time you take communion, you're literally holding healing in your hands. It's a picture of the body of Messiah, which was broken for you. Listen to Isaiah 53 as you're looking at that picture. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. When you eat the bread, you're eating the body of Jesus. He was broken so that you could be made whole. None of his bones were broken, but his body was torn apart so that you could be made whole. And when we do this in faith, something happens to your body. As you take the healing from his body into your body and you do it by faith, something happens to your body. You have strength, health, and a long life. If you have a title deed to a house, the title deed just represents the reality. The reality is the house, okay? And so um, it's the same way with communion. There's nothing magic about the bread and the cup. Some get so focused on what happens mystically to the bread and the cup. Does it actually become the uh, body and blood of Jesus? Does it uh, just represent it? Um, I'm not sure the Bible gives us enough information to be definitive on that. And so I, I don't, whatever it is, the power is in the remembering, not in the eating. You see what I'm saying? So don't get so focused on what's happening here. The power is in the remembering. The power is in recognizing what the cross did for us and partaking of that. We must mix the eating and drinking with faith. Listen to 1 Corinthians 10, 16, talking about communion. 
the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? What are they doing? When you take that cup, we're mixing it with faith. We're participating in it. It's not just some ritual. The bread that we break, is, not, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? There is some mystical way that you're encountering Jesus through communion when we add our remembering to it, when we add that faith element to it. The joy is in the reality of the house, not in the piece of paper. The joy is in, when the, uh, is in the body and blood, what it represents, not in the cracker and the juice. Come on, Catholics. Are we out there somewhere? All right. Taking it in. All right, good. The power is in the reality that I'm participating in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And through this cup, I'm remembering. I'm seeing what he did. I'm acknowledging it, and I'm putting my confidence in him. And when I remember, those benefits come into my life all over again. The stripes, the piercings, the burnt wrath of God, the sinlessness, the shed blood. When I remember it, what he did, and I take it by faith, those benefits come into my life. Listen, guys, I believe God's made a way for us to walk in divine health. Sinful Israel walked in divine health for 40 years. That cannot be the high watermark before we leave this planet. There has to be a generation that at least, at least equals hard-hearted, sinful Israel in the desert. Okay? So, listen, how did Israel... That was me clapping at a black church one time. So it was Martin Luther King week. I believe it was probably like 1998, 99. And um, this all-black church, Mount Sinai Full Gospel Deliverance Center. Why Mount Sinai? I don't know. But I'm there. And they had three-hour praise and worship. Okay? And so I'm exhausted, you know. And so... um, and so uh, they, they said, um, they introduced the speaker. And somebody, I'm sitting on basically this throne. I think, like, I think the throne of heaven would have been jealous of this place. They're like uh, this giant throne room chairs, like this silk, I, I, you know, with the, like the velvet on there. And I'm sitting there, like, trying not to look white, you know. And so, <laughs> and so three hours of worship, I mean, I, I did everything I knew how to do. I, I think I did this thing a couple times and stuff. <laughs> And so they like, we're going to have a little special before he comes up. And uh, they played a Kurt Franklin song. So Kurt Franklin, it is like hopping. And I'm not kidding. I don't know what happened to me, but I felt like I needed to kind of do a little extra. And I kind of was doing like this chicken. It was like a chicken like trying to like peck. And I'm like, what is happening here? And so um, clapping. Yeah, that, was the, that was the clapping. That's what you guys were doing. You guys are doing the chicken clap on me. That's what you guys are doing there. Sometimes the anointed trails can be anointed. The rabbit trails can be anointed, all right? You guys want to hear the rest of the story? So I get up there, and if I'm just stereotyping, there was some rough-looking characters in there that looked like they hated me. And so I'm like, I'm up there doing my thing, and they're not impressed. They don't care about what I'm saying. And so I just took a bold move. I said, hey, I said, I don't really understand these black churches. I said, and they like, and uh, I said, you know, it's Martin Luther King uh, month here, and you invited the whitest guy in Winston-Salem to come speak. They started laughing, and after that, it was like, it was like they broke it. And so, so I preached like 30 minutes, and the whole time, oh, that, oh that's the, um, so I'm preaching, and one lady stands up in the back and gave me the greatest thing I've ever heard. Uh, she stands up, she liked what I was saying, she stands up with a hanky and yells, don't tease me. <laughs> I'm like, that is the greatest thing I've ever heard in preaching. 
And they don't let you stop if they like what you're saying. They just keep pulling it out of you. So I finished my sermon, and uh, I, I didn't have anything left. And they wanted, like, come on, bring it. So I just started all over again. I'm like, maybe they won't even notice. They just like, gave the whole sermon all over again. So. Yeah. How are we doing? Sin. <laughs> Don't just stop it. Now you're just feeling bad for me. I don't want. I don't want your pity claps. Sinful Israel walked in divine health for forty years. Okay, how on earth did they do this? What were they eating? They were eating bread from heaven. What were they eating? They were eating manna. And then Jesus 6 said, hey, that manna that you ate in the desert, that was me. How did sinful Israel walk in divine health for 40 years? They were feasting on Jesus. They were eating his body. They were partaking of it. How are we doing? A lot of Christians focus on food and exercise as the keys to a healthy life. I hear a lot of people like, if I can just eat the Mediterranean diet, you know, that's the diet that uh, Jesus ate. Listen, the more, majority of people that Jesus healed were on the Mediterranean diet. <laughs> All right? Uh, oh, don't even. Listen, I believe in eating healthy and exercising is wisdom, okay? But we can't put our trust in natural means to stay healthy. All right, our trust must be in God to keep us healthy. And God has given communion as a secret to healthing, to being health and whole. In the early church, they lived this. Listen to Acts 2.46. Daily they met together in the temple courts and in one another's homes to celebrate communion. They shared meals together with joyful hearts and tender humility. They actually took communion daily as just part of their practice. So to properly discern the body means that we will be sun conscious and not sin conscious. Now you're gun shy. You don't even know whether you can clap or not. So we should examine ourselves to see if we're putting our faith in Christ's work on the cross on our behalf. When man sinned, divine, divine judgment was placed upon all of mankind. Sin, sickness, decay, death, all of that came on there. And so when we take the, uh, when we take the communion, we're, uh, we're recognizing that, and that judgment part doesn't come upon us. But if we don't recognize it, it's as if we aren't even saved. You guys know that unbelievers can have the same things affect them. I mean, believers can have the same things affect them as unbelievers if, um, if believers aren't believing. And so that's how, uh, you know, if you don't properly discern, judgment comes upon you because you're not partake, partaking of the things that stays off all those effects of sin and judgment. Listen to how the Mirror Bible paraphrase puts this. This is powerful. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven. So whoever does not value the meaning of the bread and the wine keeps himself in condemnation. Well, there's a lot of Christians that live in condemnation, even though forgiven. Why? Because they're not properly discerning the blood. They don't know that they're forgiven. To see oneself associated in Christ's death and declared innocent in his blood is the only worthy manner in which to examine one's own life in the context of the new covenant meal. Anyone who partakes of this meal in an indifferent manner either because of religious sentiment or, meaning, or merely being blasé about the meaning of the meal, eats and drinks judgment upon himself. The human body of Jesus represents the judgment of every single human life. 
To fail and acknowledge this is to deliberately exclude yourself from the blessing of the new covenant. This is the reason why many of you are suffering unnecessarily with weaknesses and illnesses, and many have already died. By judging that we indeed co-died in his death, we are free from any other kind of judgment. By discerning the broken body of Christ, we can only conclude that he was wounded for our transgressions, and that indeed the chastisement that brought us peace was upon him. This is the instruction of the Lord. What foolishness it would be to continue to place yourself and the rest of the world under judgment when Jesus already took all the judgment upon himself. That's pretty good. I close with this. There's a story that comes from Scotland when uh, British was killing all the Christians. And they knew that up in Scotland that people were going and taking the Eucharist before dawn. And so the Redcoats, the British soldiers, they're all over the Scottish hills just looking for any movement, knowing that maybe they could follow the people and lead to the Christian camps and kill everybody there. And so the story says that uh, one of the British soldiers, they saw this girl. She was about 12 years old, and she's sneaking her way up the mountain. And so they grabbed her, and she's on her way to the Eucharist. So they grab her, and they say, where are you going? Now, what's she going to do? If she tells the truth, not only is she going to lose her life, but uh, if she tells them where everybody else is, they're all going to lose their life too. And so what is, here's what she said. They said, where are you going? Here's what she said. My older brother has died, and I'm going to hear the reading of the will and declaim my part in the inheritance. Man, that's a word of wisdom. What happens when you and I take the bread and the cup? You're recognizing that your elder brother has died, and you're taking your inheritance of the terms of the new covenant. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This bread is for my healing of my body. I don't try to figure out the science of it. There's a mystery of faith to it. But when we eat the bread and drink the cup, we're participating in the Lord's death. All the benefits of that come fresh to us, rushing to us again when we remember. The bread and the cup are symbols, but they release to us the spiritual power of what they symbolize when we remember Jesus and put our faith in him afresh. Is that good? Here's what I want to do. We're going to, uh, we're going to take communion together. And so I want you guys to hold it because I want us to take it in a specific way. So we can have the people who are helping with uh, communion come get that. And uh, we're actually doing the matzah crackers. We're not doing the nuclear blast styrofoam wafers today. And so you're welcome for that.